So I was thinking, how do you build intentional success? That's exactly what we discuss with my guest and dear friend, Robert Tree Shui, currently a senior associate at PwC. We talk about why Robert chose the consulting life, what actions drive his current success as he climbs up the corporate ladder, his thoughts on grad school, and tips for cold emailing people for opportunities. We end by discussing how Robert lives his best life. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. How's it going, Robert? Uh, I know it's probably been a crazy time. You're down in Tampa right now, right? That's right. That's right. What's going on, Baz? I'm uh, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm d- I'm down in Tampa right now, spending some time with the family. But I but I am going back to Chicago soon. Uh, fortunately, I'm dodging the winter a little bit here in Tampa, but uh, but we'll be back in Chicago soon. Yep. But, but everything is well. How are you? Yeah. Uh, well, like you said, <laughs> dodging the winter. I am in the middle of it. I don't know. It's like I slipped on ice three times today. But yeah, we're not here to talk about the weather. This is a podcast about living your best life. So before we jump into everything, uh, I guess for those who might not know who you are, who might not be familiar with their story, what is your story? So I guess I can start with how I met you, um, our, our lovely podcast host here. So I met Baz in uh, in high school, actually down in Tampa. Actually, Baz, you came to you came to Berkeley Prep, where we went to school in seventh grade, I believe. Yeah, seventh grade. Um, wow, wow, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> so, uh, so so it was seventh grade. I guess where I'm going with that is I grew up in Tampa, Florida. I went to school with Baz. That's how I know him. I, w- I moved to Chicago for for college, where I attended the University of Chicago. I did a double major in economics and political science there. And after college, I started my job, which I'm still currently doing as a management consultant at uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And so at PwC, I am a management consultant in our TMT vertical, which is technology, media, and telecom. So those are sort of the clients that I work with. And I do a lot of work around marketing, sales, and services transformations. So it's a lot of work around helping our clients grow revenue is, is really what it boils down to. Other than that, I am a huge sports fan, as Baz can attest to. I like to think of myself as the future general manager of the Orlando Magic. And no, I mean, I, I spend all my free time watching sports. Um, I really like doing data analytics in, into sports. So yeah. I will say uh, I can confirm that Tree is a big sports fan. Hopefully for the Sixers' sake, I hope that you don't end up becoming the general manager of the Orlando Magic because then we're, we're in trouble. But at the same time, I, you know, I think I know we've had plenty of conversations about sports. I think for for someone who is as busy as you are as a professional, you know, you're as passionate about sports and also knowledgeable. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no worries. Going into kind of your your work at PwC, in my understanding, while you have been a you know management consultant, you kind of climbed up the ranks. I, you know, like I remember, I think it was like my first year in my job. And like, by the end of the first year, I'm like, oh, wait, Tree's already got promoted. And then like, I think it was like another six months or something, like another promotion. I might be wrong, but it, it, it seems like you really have been on the fast track in terms of your career at PwC. So I would love to just understand from your perspective, how that has come to be. Like, what are the, what are the things you do as a person on a day-to-day basis, but also within like how you set your career up for that growth? Sure. So I, I don't know if I've gotten I've gotten two promotions in the six months as you put it. I don't think it's been quite that quite that fast. So I am currently a senior associate. That's my level. Um, so which means that since I started in October of 2016, I've gotten promoted twice. Um, my first promotion was to experience associate, 
And then my second promotion was the senior associate. I'm actually up for a promotion this year as well. But I think in terms of how that's happened, I think it, I, I think it comes, I think with any sort of promotions, right, especially in a place like PwC where the promotions ladder is pretty set in stone and that there's a very, there's a very concrete track, right? I think, I think it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to sort of opportunity and it comes down to sort of what you do with that opportunity. And, and what I mean by that is there's always a numbers game with promotions, right? And there's always a numbers game to how you make your way through a firm as large as PwC. And, and what I mean by that is depending on how, how well the firm does, there may be, you know, more or less promotion spots every year. And so I think I've been fortunate in that the years that I've been up for promotion, there's been opportunities for those promotions, right? It hasn't been a year where the firm's been in a downturn. It hasn't been a year where there's a lot of, I'll say, uh, an unnecessarily large amount of competition, right? It's always definitely competitive, but it's always been an op- there's always been opportunities for me to get promoted. I think the other thing, this, the second part of that, which is, you know, taking advantage of opportunities, I think so- something that I've done is knowing where to focus my efforts, right? I think with, with PwC, especially when you're in a promotion year, there's, there's a lot of hectic things that go on that, during that year, right? People want you to work on a lot of things. If you don't say yes, it's like, oh, well, aren't you up for promotion? Well, the answer is yes, I am up for promotion. doesn't mean I have to do everything you tell me to do, right? And, and I think being, being cognizant of what is actually going to look good at, during promotion years, as opposed to just saying yes to everything, I think it, it helps because you can, one, you can dedicate more time to the things that actually matter and, and do a better job on those. But, but also, two... I think it cuts down a lot of the noise, right? Because the way that we do promotions is, is that the leadership kind of looks across all the promotion candidates over the year and says, okay, well, person X, person X, right? Does that person have a really good story? Are they, are they, are they really working towards the next step, right? And, and what I've seen is that we have a lot of noise from working on different competing priorities. That story becomes a lot less concrete. And it's a lot harder to sell your case to leadership. So, I, so I mean, I know I just digressed a little bit, but I think to answer your question directly, I think it, I think it comes down to one, I've been fortunate in that the years I've been up for promotion, there's been opportunity to do that. And, and two, I've been very strategic or very, I would say, very meaningful on how I go about that promotion. In, intentional kind of, yeah. Exactly. That is very helpful. A couple of things from your answers. Reminds me of the author, Kyle Newport. So he has two books, one, or he has a lot of books, but two books in particular that I always think back to are, is his book, So Good uh, They they Can't Ignore You, where it kind of talks about, he, you know, he goes against the system of, you know, do something you're passionate about. But within that, he talks about leveraging your career capital in a sense. And so that kind of, you know, goes back to, to the idea of like, well, let me get to a place where I'm, in, you know, and have the opportunity to leverage my career capital, show them like, hey, I've put in the work and, you know, sure. it, it makes it so they almost have to give you the position. They can't like they would be doing something negligent by not giving you the promotion. And then I also think about deep work uh, in, in terms of saying, you know, saying no to things so that you can say yes. So what is important, I think is huge. I, I know that's something I am. That's something I'm constantly <laughs> dealing with uh, is just, you know, uh, both in my old job and even now I'm like trying to, as I am in a new job and trying to figure out, okay, how do I make an impact in this? It's kind of seeing like, all right, well, like, let me look back to what my goals are, uh, or at least I will be looking back to, you know, what are my goals? What am I actually here to try to achieve? And then making sure that my efforts are actually focused on that. So I fully agree with, with that. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, right, like if you're an entry level position and a senior partner comes to you and says, can you do this, right? Like, can you do this for me? You're not going to say no, right? You're not, you're not going to say no to that. But, what, what, but I think what, what's, what's been helpful for me is, is sort of setting those boundaries, especially during performance years. What I've heard, what, I, what I've come to know really is, 
you know, if someone pings you at work at 10 p.m. at night on a Friday, right, and you reply to that ping, you're really setting the expectation that, hey, you're available at all times in the day and ping me and I'll respond and I'll get whatever it is done, which is which might be what you want to go for. Right. But what, I, what I've seen is as you move through the ranks, there's just too much of that. Like there's too much of that to say yes every time. And so I think setting boundaries and setting your personal boundaries is something that's been really, really important to me as I sort of move up the ladder. Yeah, that's actually a really good transition to my next question that I had. When I think of the life of a consultant and when I think of countless friends, like including yourself and, and others that I know that they, they were like, hey, this is what I want to do out of college. The expectation, at least from what I've seen and what I've heard, is that it's a grind. You're, 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 working, you're working some a good deal of hours. Uh, you're doing hard work, you know, very uh, mentally draining work. So for you, what, what is it that drives you to thrive in this environment? Is it the promotion? Is it the, you know, the money? Is it, you know, the impact that you're making on these companies? I would love to hear your perspective on that. So I think for me, when I was looking for a job out of college, the, the, the fundamental thing I was going for, is I wanted to be in a place where I was constantly challenged. And I wanted to be in a place where I was never bored. And, and those were sort of, if you want to call them guiding principles of my job search, sure. Right. But that was sort of what I was going for. Right. And and to be quite honest, I, I knew I didn't want to, you know, I, did, I attended University of Chicago. I did economics and sort of when you do economics at the University of Chicago, you really have three career trajectories. Right. You can either go and be an investment banker. You can go be a consultant or you can go get a master's degree and pursue academia. I knew I wanted to I, I knew I didn't want to do investment banking because I, I just like that culture didn't seem to fit me. Um, I knew that in terms of academia, I definitely wanted to get a graduate level degree, but, but I didn't really want to do that for, for the X many years. And so I sort of fell into consulting as sort of, you know, hey, this is like the last thing, right? I'm going to say that's how I got into it. I think when I got into it through my internships, I, I saw that, hey, this is something where it's, it's business, right? And it's, and it's business related, but it's, but it's more strategic thinking and it's more problem solving than it is super, super business heavier. And if, if that makes any sense, but I think what has kept me going with consulting is I might be staffed on a bad project, right? Like I might be staffed on a project that I'm not very interested in and that, you know, isn't really doing it for me. But, but I think what keeps me going on those projects is the fact that knowing six weeks from now, I'll be doing something different. And that and that and that different thing, you know, it might, it might not be any better, but at least it's different. At least it's something new to solve, right? And I think that that's what gets me through. When I get stuck on the good projects, then it's, it's it's very easy, right? It's like it's it's what I like to do, and it's it is interesting, and it's and it's you know stimulating. And then there's no problem. But I think in terms of how to thrive on those bad projects, consulting is really is really unique in that even when you're doing that, it's only for a for a limited amount of time, right? It like you. The, the time you're going to be doing it is finite and something new will come, you know, after those, you know, X number of weeks. Okay. So the, the kind of the appeal of novelty drives you through that. And, and, and it's like, Hey, like if it's, you know, if this is something I don't like, I will literally be on a new project within, you know, a matter of months. I think it's also the learning piece, right? Like I think with consulting, one of the big things is that you get exposure to a lot of different companies. And I think, going in with the mindset that even if this is a terrible project and I'm working long hours, right? Like going with the mindset, knowing that you're going to learn something. And I, and I think that's how true in my consulting career is that no matter the project I've been on, I've always learned something new, right? There's always been something that I've, that I've added to my skill set. Uh, I think that that always also keeps me motivated that, that, you know, yeah, you're working long hours, but it's worth it in the end because you're picking up these new skills or you're learning a new way of thinking. I think that that also has kept me going. Okay. I feel like you're reading my mind here in terms of, uh, you know, kind of the direction <laughs> I want to take this conversation because, you know, you're talking about picking up new skills and also you, you know, mentioned grad school as a possibility. So 
you know, as of right now, at least you are pursuing, you know, that next possible step of, of going to grad school and, and, and getting your MBA. And, and so it's interesting because, you know, I feel like, especially in the time that we're in with COVID and, and kind of with the economic situation that many might find themselves, people are looking at grad school as a, you know, another option to, to kind of upskill and hone in some of their I don't know, hone in some of their kind of skills and, and, and maybe even make a career pivot. So given that, you know, why do you think, what for you was important in your decision to pursue uh, grad school and, and kind of what factors did you use when deciding to make that decision? Or, you know, just, um, you know, what factors might someone else who's probably in that same boat making the decision, what should they think about before uh, pursuing grad school? Great question, right? And I am definitely going to pursue grad school. I'm actually starting my MBA program at Chicago Booth in April. So, so I will be doing that. It's a, it's a, in a part-time capacity. I think the grad school question, right? I think what it came down to me is I sort of thought about where I want to go long, long-term, say 10, five, 10 years from now. And I said, hey, look, right? Like, is the MBA going to accelerate my trajectory? and get me closer to where I want to be in 10 years? Because I think there's always the perception when you're in a business field that, hey, I just need to go get my MBA, right? I'm just going to go get my MBA and it's going to make everything better and I'm going to be doing what I want and I'll be making a lot more money. I don't think that's necessarily true because I think that there's, will an MBA help you pivot? Absolutely, right? Like the connections that you make with an MBA, I think are, are absolutely really, really important. But is an MBA the only way to do that? I, I would argue no. And I would argue that an MBA is a very expensive way of doing it, right? And so, and so I think it, it, what, what it came down for me was that my career goal was to continue in consulting in the short term with an expanded skill set and be able to, because I mean, my whole career has been at PwC, right? And so PwC is a great company, but fundamentally, PwC has, has a way of looking at business and a, and a way of looking at the world that is, that is very PwC focused. And if you go to a different company, it's, it, it might be similar, but it's not going to be completely the same. And so for me, I saw the MBA as a way for me to broaden those horizons and a, for, and a way for me to, to really expand my thinking, right? And, and for me, it was like, okay, well, I want to be the best consultant I can be. I can't just have a PwC way of thinking. I have to understand how everyone else thinks about the business world. And so, and so that was one of the driving factors for me. The other factor for me was that I want to get into sports management, right? We joke about being the future team of the magic. But that's a field I'm super passionate about, right? And it's a field that, to be honest, is, is very closed doors, right? It's, it's a field that's hard to break into. And so for me, if that's where I wanted to go in 10 years, well, an MBA seems like a pretty good way to pivot there, right? It, it's, it seems like that is a better way to pivot there than, than cold emailing people or cold messaging people on LinkedIn. Um, and so for me, it was, it was ultimately weighing sort of the pros of going versus the cons of sort of networking and sort of growing my career otherwise. And, and for anyone, you know, considering an MBA, I think absolutely consider it. But I think I would also say absolutely do your due diligence, right? Take a step back, think about where you want to go. And if an MBA makes sense, then just go for it, right? And just, and just go and throw yourself into it. But, but don't go in with the perception that that's what I have to do, or that's a defined path. Like go in thinking that this is an option and there are other options that can get you to the same place and which one makes the most sense for you. It's interesting that you kind of, even though you are pursuing and, and going for MBA, it's interesting that you kind of say, well, wait a minute, is this actually, you have to sit there and think like, is this actually going to accomplish what I'm trying to achieve? I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Galloway, he, Professor Scott Galloway. He works at uh, NYU Stern. He does a lot of different things in the media, but like his thing, you know, as someone who teaches MBA students all the time, his thing is like, if you're not going to like a top 20 
MBA program, it might not be for you because like, at least in his vision and what he thinks is the benefit of an MBA is the connections you make. In terms of if you're not going to, to somewhere that has the type of people that are going on to create startups and, and it's really not worth it, or at least you have to consider the, the cost because it is, like you said, it's, it's pricey for an MBA nowadays. And so I know for me, even just thinking about grad school in general, I'm like, yeah, like I, there, are, there are a couple of programs that in terms of if I did want to make a career pivot within not only just business, but also the type of psychology work I do, like I do marketing, which to me is still based in psychology, but there's other things where I'm like, oh, I could totally pursue this field. And I'm like, grad school could be a way to get to there, but it depends on the goals. And so I, I personally appreciate your answer. Uh, from that perspective, because I'm like, oh, I got I got to go back to the drawing board to do some thinking. <laughs> Moving on, you know, in terms of just in general, right? Like I said, COVID, it's happened. It's happening. People are losing jobs. People are in positions where they're like, I don't have the job security that I thought I did, right? So for you and, and while, you know, you're thinking about your next moves and you're thinking about how you're building your career out, do you have any advice for people who are kind of maybe in flux right now in their position, uh, or at least their place in their career a- in terms of what they might be able to do to kind of help themselves advance? So I think with COVID, right, I think, I think there's, there's two parts of that answer, right? I think one is if your career is just in flux and, and regardless of COVID or not, your career would be in flux because you hit a crossroads, right? For, for, for those people, I would say that that's totally normal. And I would say that don't fear the unknown, right? Like if your career is in flux and you're, and you're weighing different things, that's perfectly okay, right? Like I think more oftentimes than not, people have a tendency to, to fear this, this gap in employment or, or fear, fear indecision is what I would say. I, I think, and, and again, right, I'm saying this while being employed. So, so take my advice for what it's worth. But I think being, being in between jobs or being in flux is, is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it makes you think about what you really want. And, and it makes you think about, you know, what, what are you willing to do to get there, right? So, so I would say if, if you're just in, if your job is just in flux, like embrace that challenge, like embrace that unknown. And, and, and I think try to make the best out of it. I think in terms of if your career is in flux because of COVID, I think, I think the one thing, the first thing that I'll say is, is it's super unfortunate, right? I think what COVID has done to the economy, it's, it's, it's really led a lot of companies to lay off a lot of people that are super, super qualified and super good at their job, right? So, so, I, so I think one is, is I, I feel for you, right? Like, I think that's it's super unfortunate. And, and I think the second thing I would say is, and again, right, I'm saying this from the perspective of someone that, that is still employed, so, so take it for what it's worth. But, but I think it's just to be persistent, right? I think when, when you think about finding another job, right, finding what's next, I think you could send 200 LinkedIn messages or you could send 500 cold emails and not get a response, but it's the 501st email that gets you a job. I think that then it's all worth it, right? So, so, so don't give up, keep your head held high, right? Just because you're not hearing back is not an indication on you as a person. It's not an indication on you as an employee. It's simply an indication that one, people are busy and two, the economy is not where we want it to be right now, right? So I would say, you know, stick with it, keep persisting. And I think, I think what you'll see, right, is that, is that, you know, these times are tough, but I think everyone, I, I hope that everyone will sort of come out the other side a lot better for it, I would say. I agree with you. I think it is unfortunate, like you said. Um, I, you know, it, 
also as someone who not only has a job and, you know, um, but was able to somehow find a way to advance my career in terms of finding another uh, just position of employment. Um, you know, I was, I, I felt weird, uh, at least during this time, kind of applying to jobs and, and whatnot. I had to think, I'm like, well, like, I'm doing what's best for my career right now. And like, I'm the, you know, no one else is going to do this for me. I have to be the one to take responsibility and, and put myself out there. Um, and, you know, fortunately I, I, I found something, but at the same exact time going through that process, I realized how, you know, like there, you know, there was things where I'm like, Oh, this is a lead on something. And it turned out it wasn't, or, you know, this mm-hmm. is a lead on something. And it turned out it wasn't. And so it's just like, okay, yes, there's going to be rejection. Yes. There's going to be, you know, some, some downfalls, but Hey, at the end of the day, it's, you know, you got to keep working on it because you don't know when that break is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I completely agree with you. Um, yeah. Going to ask, trying to, to advance your career. Do you think, are there any actual steps? Like, like, you know, you mentioned cold emailing, cold LinkedIn, but is there anything that you think, like, if I was, you know, in a position where I was looking for a job, this is what I would do. Like, do you have any advice on that? Cause I know, I know for me personally, I, it was, it was kind of reaching out in my, my weak ties as they call it of, of saying like, Hey, like I'm going to talk to this person that I met through a friend or like, I'm going to talk to this person who I went to school with, but you know, like we shared one, one or two classes. Um, so, you know, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So let me, let me answer it this way. I would say that I'm not at all qualified to talk about finding a new job because I never, I've never found a new job. Right. I'm just not qualified to talk about that. So I'll, I'll, I'll take it another angle. Right. I'll say, I'll answer that question from the perspective of someone that sees these cold emails come in. Right. Because that, that is something that I've seen, right. That is something that I've seen. And I think in terms of what catches sort of my eye when someone sends me a cold email. So I think the first step is just putting yourself out there. Right. I think, I think, the first step is just is just getting past that initial discomfort of networking with people and sending out these cold emails. I think there's there's always a mental hurdle there to say I feel ridiculous. Why am I emailing a complete stranger to ask for a job? Right. Um, I think I think getting past that mental hurdle is number one. But after you've gotten past that, and after you've gone into the process of cold emailing people, I think there's ways to make your email stand out. Right. Because to be honest, when when you're when you're networking with people at these larger firms you know, we get a ton of emails every day, right? And, and sort of how you make your email stand, I think is important. I think the emails that I gravitate towards are emails that I, when, I, when I read it, I can tell it's not copy and pasted and my name is just stuck in there, right? And I, and I think when I, when I it's, it's very obvious when you just copy and paste an email, right? And when, and when I read those emails, my thinking is, okay, well, if you're not going to take the time to write me an email, I'm not going to take the time to respond to your email. And, and that might be a very cynical way of looking at it, but but just it's just very, very realist, right? Like like realistically, that's sort of how I approach it. I think, I think how you make it look like the email is not copy and pasted, I would say, look, there's always little things that connect you to other people. It might be where you went to school. It might be someone you know. It might be an interest in something they do, right? Put that, put that you know, spend that five minutes, put that little bit of color into the email, right? And it, and it doesn't need to be writing 500 emails from scratch that are all uniquely different. Right. But just putting a little bit of color and talking about the, like what connects you to that person that you're trying to get in touch with. I think it makes a world of difference. I think the other thing, right. And what I, would, what I would challenge people to do is to say, Hey, put yourself in the perspective of the recipient of your email. Right. Yeah. What are you putting in that email? That's going to make him pause when he's going through his 500 emails at work and read your email and respond to you. Right. Like what would you, what would make you do that? And I think if you can think about it from that perspective, you'll naturally you know, move towards those sort of little bits of color that I talk about. So 
I know it wasn't exactly the question you asked, Baz, but 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 that's uh, that's what I got. I will say that's something I've over the years have tried to hone myself because it's just as a person like you you know me like I'm I'm generally more social, but in terms of like I don't know something about writing someone who you don't know, and it's just like, it's weird, it's awkward. Yeah, it's like, just like it what, is. like what am I doing? So um, it, I would say to to anyone listening, a good I guess example of maybe not how to not write an email, uh, introductory email, The Third Door by, I believe, Alex Banian. I might be pronouncing his name wrong. But anyway, I'll throw it in the show notes. I don't know if you read it, Tree, but it's a book about this guy who basically was like, I'm going to interview all these famous people. And so he just talked about how he tried to get like Tim Ferriss in to, to interview and how he was like being persistent. He was trying to be connected to him. You know, I won't get into it because I don't want to ruin the book for everybody, but it, it just talks about like how not to go about that process, which I think is really funny uh, aside. But yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate your answer. It might not be the question I asked, but I think it's still helpful nonetheless. Put that book in the show notes because I because you clearly read a lot more than I do. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I need some book recommendations too. So I will be glad to take those. I mean, you know, as our fantasy football record show, like while I might read more, like you're over here, you know, you're you're following your passion with sports and you understand it. So like, you know, you're you're winning. Uh, we're we're all winning. <laughs> so shifting gears a little bit this is a like i said a podcast about living your best life you know i wanted to ask you uh, as i've asked many other people on the show how do you live your best life you know like what, what do you do on a daily basis that helps you you know stay healthy stay happy uh, all that good stuff <laughs> in a sense good question i think for me I'm a person that if I, like, like I, like for me to live my best life, right. When we think about sort of mental health or, or physical health, or even just, you know, being happy, like emotionally, I think for me, it's, 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 it comes down to sort of being intentional about what I want to do with my day. What I've seen happen. And this is really when I was in college is that if I, if, if I don't, you know, create a set of things that I want to get done in a day, or if I don't sort of part metalize the, the, the different parts of my day, I'll just sort of end up sitting in bed and watching YouTube videos for two hours. And then, and then you'll get up and be like, oh, wow, it's already afternoon. Where did I have my day go, right? So I think for me, it's, it's, it's really being intentional about how I spend my time with, is it, you know, is it, I'm going to play around a golf in the morning? Is it, I'm going to do some cardio workouts at night? Is it, I'm going to hit up an old friend and, and, do a, and do a FaceTime with them, right? It's just being, I think, I think for me to feel productive and for me to, you know, be living my best life, as, as you said, I think it really comes down to sort of being intentional with how I spend my time because I think too often than not, when, I, when I'm not intentional about it, that's when I think I, I feel myself slipping. It's when I feel the day getting away from me, right? You know, now that, I, now that I've said all that, I think I've talked myself into the response, you know, for me to live my best life, I, th- I think I just have to be productive. I think, I, think I, just, it just, I just have to feel productive. Like I feel like I have to get something done. And, and for me to get something done, I think it's all about, you know, being intentional and sort of splitting up my day like that. Yeah, it's almost kind of like a, like a feedback loop. I will, I will like very recently, especially like working on the podcast, my, my job and you know, a couple other things that I'm just kind of like challenging myself, I guess, to do. I realized that even though I'm like busier than probably like other parts of the year, I'm like, I feel better about it. Like I feel like, oh, like brain wise, I'm like, oh, I'm all, all over the place. But like at the same time, it's like, no, like I, I, you know, because I'm like, I need to do this. I need to get that done. I get it done. I'm like, oh, I get to check off the boxes at the end of the day. So I definitely, I definitely understand where you're coming from on that. I mean, maybe it must be the fact that I'm just addicted to that feeling of being rewarded, right? Like that rewarding feeling after you get a bunch of stuff done. Maybe I'm just addicted to that, right? Hey, if, if it works, it works, right? Like I, I think um, like dopamine's there for a reason. It's there to reward us, there to motivate us. So if you're, you're you know, if, 
you're rewarded by like, hey, let me get that thing done. I think uh, I don't know who it is or what the study was, but the, you know that's why they say like make your bed in the morning, right? Because just small tasks and getting that reward of like, oh, see, I, I'm I'm productive, kicks can kickstart your whole day. I think it's just like the snowball effect. So going off of that though, in terms of you're saying like for you to live your best life, it's to be productive. But I'm curious if to you there is such a thing as a good life. I think. It's it's a tricky question, right? I think there I think there is, but I think everyone's good life is different, right? I th- I think it's and I, th- and I think the important part is is really just just living your good life and not worrying about what everyone else perceives of your life, right? Like I think I think as long as you're living your your good life, right? Like for me, right? Like like my good life is is really simple, right? It's 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 being successful at work. It's it's staying in touch with my friends and my family, and it's just generally being a kind person, right? Like I think. You know those three tenants make up sort of my good life, and I think that that's enough for me. And I and I and I don't need to worry about what other people think about my life, wh- whether they're judging it as good or bad. I don't need to judge other people's lives as good or bad, right? Um, so I so I think there is, but I think as long as you are fulfilling your definition of a good life, like you individually, I think that's enough, right? I don't I don't think there's this there's this concept of an objective good life that everyone should strive towards. I, I don't I don't think that that's true. But I think I think for everyone out there that you have your own individual good life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I I subscribe to that as well. You know, like we, you know, especially here in the States, I feel like we, you know, have always, at least I, as far as I remember, uh, we're always talking about like, oh, the good life. Like there is, mm-hmm. you know, like exactly what it means to like have a productive life or have a fortunate life in terms of money and level of success or fame or whatever, wherever you, you want. And I think as, especially as time is going on and, you know, with like the, you know, the gig economy and other things where people have a lot more, a freedom of their time, choice and kind of how they spend their time as well. I think that we're finding out, or at least we're, you know, not necessarily finding out, but we're rediscovering what it means to, to really own what is a good life to, to each individual. And, and I'll share a story with you, right? I'll share a story with you. So I was at a, uh, as I was at a PwC event, it was like one of those like very motivational events, sort of the, the hoorah events of PwC that they like to do. And, and one of the, and what they brought in a TEDx speaker or a, a TED talk speaker. And he, and he asked a simple question. He said, well, how do you define success, right? Like, like how do you define success? And, 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 you know, we had these notebooks and people jotted down. And then obviously they did the thing where they passed the mics around for, for some people to answer in front of the group. And, and people were all saying like, oh, I define success, like just being happy, you know, the, the standard answers. One, one person that came up said, I define success by having enough money so that I can buy whatever I want. And, and people sort of laughed. They, liked, like, they were like, oh, that's super shallow. That's like, you know, how do you, how can you define success that way? Like how, like that's super materialistic. And, and, and I think my view, right, is, is if that person, like if, if to him, that is his definition of a good life, right? Like if that's what he wants out of his life, then more power to him, right? I don't think, I don't think it's, it's in, it's anyone's position to judge what other people think is good or bad, right? In terms of their lifestyle. I think as long as you're fulfilling what you want to be happy, I think that's okay, right? So, so a little bit of a story there, but, but I'll just say, you know, I think as long as you're doing what makes you happy and as long as you're marching towards your good life, I think that's enough. I, I don't think it needs to fulfill anyone else's criteria. Well, you know, the immature me would probably be like, oh yeah, like that's, that's un, that's unminimalist of him. Uh, you yeah. know what? Like, I don't know. I, I follow a lot of minimalist people now and, and I'm <laughs> like, oh, like, 
you want money and things shame on you but uh i think no i think you're right in terms of it's it's kind of what we make it our, ourselves so going off of that, right, I, I love to ask people just about kind of some questions to get into a little deeper into the head. So, you know, the first question really is, is kind of what keeps you up at night, and, you know, in terms of like fears, essentially. And then the second question really is, you know, what motivates you? I know you alluded to some things earlier, but I'd love to get a different perspective. Sure. So I'll take those one at a time. I think in terms of what keeps me up at night, I think it I think it differs from which phase of my life I'm in or what day I'm at of the week, right? I think to be honest, what keeps me up at night is probably a mix between, you know, previously it was whether or not I'm gonna get into a business well, before business school, it was like, am I gonna do all well my GMAT? Then it's like, am I gonna get into a business school? And now it's like, well, am I gonna do well at business school? And then, you know, from Monday through Friday, it's some variation of, you know, am I gonna how am I going to perform during these meetings? Like, how am I going to act for the clients? Am I prepared for the meetings? But I think all of that is a manifestation of my fear, I think, of disappointing myself, right? I think when you when you think about the GMAT scores, the business school acceptances, the client meetings, the slide, like, like all of that, to me, is a manifestation of my, my fundamental fear of disappointing, my, not, not other people, but myself. I think, you know, I pride myself on having a very high expectation for what I want to get out of my life and, and really each and every day, right? And I think that that fundamental fear is just, am I not going to be able to get there, right, in, in a certain day? And I, and I think it's, it's, it's a little bit irrational in, in a way because it's, it's, it's my day. Like I make what I, what I make out of it and it's totally within my control. But I think when I, when I do, you know, when, when there are things that keep me up at night, I think it's, I think it's that I start, start to think too much about that, that fear sort of disappointing myself. I think your second question is what motivates me. I think it's impact, right? I think it's impact and it's, and it's legacy. I think for me, I, I want to do things that leave an impact on whatever space I'm in. Now, if that's helping, you know, my little brother with his college essays, I, I, I want to be impactful there, right? Like I want to give him advice that, that really helps him. If it's, if it's at work, I don't want to be the, the, the standard consultant that just creates a bunch of slides and then hands it off and says, this is your problem, go deal with it. Like, like I want to be the guy that helps you solve those problems, right? When it's, uh, I, I don't know, like, like when it's playing basketball, I mean, we play basketball together, right? Like when it's playing basketball, like I don't want to just be that guy that sits in the corner and shoots threes. Like I want, I want to be like an active member of the game, you know? So, so I think for me, what motivates me, whether it's career, whether it's personal, like whatever it is, I, I think, I think it all just comes down to, to impact and just making sure that, you know, whatever I'm doing, that, that, that impact is felt. Wow. That's, uh, I appreciate that answer. While I, I will say your brother probably is, I don't know, you're, you know, for those who don't know, uh, Tree's younger brother is also just as intelligent as Tree. Uh, he probably can help me with, with college essays or something like that. So oh, he's, uh, I, he's much more intelligent than I am, but, uh, <laughs> that's a, but that's a tangent. We won't go down for, for today's show. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe but, he'll be the next interview guest. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for, for season three, for first guest, but yeah, I, that's, that's really interesting that you say impact and legacy and I because like I, I think a similar way like I won't say it's my main driver necessarily but I, I think about legacy right and like the legacy that I leave for other people to to gawk at or, or look at and, and kind of just the, the fact that you know for my family right of saying like I want them to be able to one day be like look at me and be like you know what we're really proud of what he did and, and terms of the impact hopefully i don't know i guess hopefully we're all like i don't i hope i'm not gone before them and they have to you know that would be a sad sad time if they're like if i die young or something knock on wood but yeah i think i just think about in terms of you know 
whether it's family or even you know, like you, you and like my, the rest of you know, our, our group of friends and stuff and, and friends from college, where I think like at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that I've helped them as well and made an impact in their lives. And that's positive. I, you know, I forget the, who's the quote by, but you know, it's about leaving something better than the state you, you entered it in. And, and just that, that mentality has always kind of stuck with me. So, so yeah, I, I appreciate kind of, you know, likewise, you're, you're kind of looking to make an impact, but also one that, that lasts for years, if not generations and generations. But yeah, that really was all the questions I had. I don't know if there was anything that we didn't touch upon that you were like, hey, if I leave out this interview without talking about this, I will be kicking myself uh, for the next week. So I don't know if I would kick myself. What I, what I would say is that I'm, I'm, with, with the COVID pandemic, I've become an aspiring home chef. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about launching a, a food Instagram here. So, okay. uh, so if you're in need of some, some good recipes, not just Asian recipes, all sorts of recipes, okay. I'll, uh, I'll let you know when, when that's up and you can, you, you can, you can plug that on the show. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's it. I think, uh, you know, thank you for having me, right? Like, I think, it's, I think it's been great. I think you're a great podcast host. Um, I think the questions really made me think, and I and I think they were they're they're really good for for anyone to think about. So so no, I I think I'm just grateful that you had me on the show, and I really appreciate it. For those who who are listening and, and whatnot, like Tree's been, you know, I, I think there's I think about a group of us in terms of like eight to ten of us maybe from like day one. Um, I remember just you know second first second day of school coming in. You know we had uniforms at the time coming in with. And I know Tree remembers this story like it was yesterday just come in with like different parts from like different parts of the uniform. And I looked like, you know, I had loafers with shorts on and a different belt and, you know, blazer on the same time. And this goofy looking kid from Philly talking about how much I love Philly and all this and that. And um, just you and, and you got like the, the rest of you guys really embraced me and, and, you know, just supported me through high school, through college and, and even now. And it's it's awesome to see you as well, just go through your career and, and really just kick ass and take names for lack of a better phrase. But um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's it really every day is an inspiration. So thank you for joining. Thank you for sharing your insights. You know, I really appreciate it. So, so thank you. Cool, man. But I will let you go. You know, I'm sure you got some, some nice cooking to get to, um, <laughs> but, but you know, until next time, uh, appreciate it, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Bess. And that's the show. Thank you for listening. Be sure to leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter and support the show by following us over on Instagram. Both links are in the show notes. Stay tuned for our next episode featuring my friend, Phil Davis, Foreign Affairs Officer for the Department of State, and more importantly, of returning guests from season one. As always, live, laugh, and learn.